So this is time in our service where we, we set aside a time to talk about the things we believe as Christians, kind of the basic and foundational beliefs that we hold as Christians. I wasn't here last week, um, but I still had one of these table talks made up. So if you didn't grab one last week, but you you want to continue in that study as a family or as a group, feel free. They're still out there. Um, at the table along with this week's. Um, but last week, we would have finished up what we believe about the Bible and about how God reveals himself to us as human beings. This week, I want to answer a different question, and, and that's this. How does the story end? You see, life as it is now is not the end of the story for Christians. We have hope that something better is yet to come. And so we're going to spend some time and talk about how the story will end over the next couple of weeks. But the first thing we have to say is it's really simple. How does the story end? And that is this, Jesus will return. And that's pretty amazing, right? So how does the story end? You guys would say, Exactly. And so while before when Jesus came, God himself became a human being in the flesh, he came to serve and to, to die as a sacrifice for our sins. But this time when he comes back, when he returns, he will rule as a king. And so we believe that Jesus will return. He will rule as a king over the earth for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, he will judge every person for all they have done. And that if your name at the end of that judgment is written in the book of life, you will live for eternity with God. And that's how the story winds. That's what we have hope in as Christians waiting for that future when Jesus returns. And that's the truth for this week. I encourage you to take one of these table talks, talk about it more in depth as a family or as a group throughout this week. Um, but for now, uh, normally this would be where we dismiss those who are third grade or younger to children's church. Uh, we're still going to do that, but we're going to wait because we have a dedication for deacons and new members we're celebrating and welcoming today. So with that in mind, I want to invite Pastor Joe on up to do that. If you are a currently serving deacon, we'd like to invite you up. Uh, and also, if you're one of our elders, we'd like to invite you up. And also, if you are named Sandy Dunbar or Rod Repke, we'd like to invite you up. <laughs> because Sandy and Rod are our brand new uh, deacons that at the end of our uh, service last week, we had a short members meeting to appoint uh, new deacons and vote on them, confirm them. Um, as deacons, and this is Rod Repke, this is Sandy Dunbar, if you don't know them yet, um, and they are new deacons, and so, um, Rick, if you could share the scripture with us. I'll take you back to the scriptures here. It says, uh, now in those days, in uh, Acts chapter 6, the early, very early church, and the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nancor, and Simon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hand on them. In the example and tradition of the early church, we called deacons to serve the body of Christ. Rod and Sandy were nominated by the members, examined by the elders for qualifications, and elected by the church last week. We're great, grateful that you've accepted the, the office. And uh, we uh, encourage you to serve the body, Holy Spirit, and wisdom the glory of God. 
think Joe was going to say a few words here too before we pray. Well, we have uh, taken the opportunity to examine both Rod and Sandy in accordance with 1 Timothy chapter 3 and found them fully qualified to serve as deacons. We're excited to have some new deacons. Deacons are those who um, take care of the physical needs of those in our church. And uh, if you're um, a person who has a need uh, that, uh, that you need to have met, uh, these are some of the people uh, who, would, who would meet those. So um, anyway, we want to take the opportunity to commission them for service. And so I'd ask everybody who's up here with me to lay hands on at least one of them, if you can, whoever you can reach, and we're going to commission them and pray over them. So if you would join me. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call men and women to serve as deacons and to meet the needs of your church, whether those be uh, needs for food or for uh, finances or for uh, visits in the hospital or uh, something that needs to be taken care of in the house that you can't deal with, um, that you care for uh, your people through your people. And you've appointed these especially who you've given a heart of service and of mercy uh, to care for the needs of the flock. And Father, we ask that they would serve you with excellence and with deep humility and a great uh, desire to serve your people uh, as you have called them forth. And Father, we pray your blessing on them and uh, ask that you would use them well as tools in your hand to be a blessing to your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we also... Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. All right. Um, we also have opportunity this morning. Um, do be sure to encourage Rod and Sandy uh, and to pray for them. Uh, we also want to take the opportunity to do that. Um, that uh, these are offices that require a lot of people and um, require some self sacrifice to serve well in them. So we encourage you to pray for them and to bless them uh, and to, uh, to lift them up um, in your life and in your prayers. Um, we also have the opportunity this morning to welcome a new member here this morning, and that's uh, Jerry Lauber. Uh, Jerry, if you'd come on forward, uh, make your way up here. Um, our membership process, as, you, as some of you are well aware, involves a couple of steps. Uh, there is a, um, a process of looking at uh, the doctrine of the church and our church covenant and uh, affirming your agreement with that. You also have to be examined by the, the Council of Elders, and we talk with you and we ask you to share your, your testimony of your faith in Jesus with us. And then there is an official... Um, welcome into the body of Christ uh, here as a full voting member. And part of that, the conclusion of that process is standing up in front of all of you and making some vows. And so, uh, so Jerry, I will, um, I will ask you some questions and uh, you may remember this. Uh, it will sound very familiar. Uh, the answers are all I do, <laughs> all right? Because you are committing yourself uh, as part of the bride of Christ uh, to walk with him in faithfulness and holiness. So uh, do you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you desire above all else to live for him? If so, signify by saying, I do. I do. Do you declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in its confession of faith and in obedience to its membership covenant? If so, signify by saying, I do. I do. Do you promise to support this congregation with your prayers, with your faithful attendance at its services, by your encouragement of uh, our members, the willing use of your gifts and talents in its ministry, and the giving of your means as God prospers you? If so, Signify by saying, I do. I do. Then upon your good confession, I'm pleased to welcome you into membership in Chillicothe Bible Church. 
So, thank you, Jerry, for joining us. I'm going to pray for you, and I have a, a word from the Scripture I'm going to share with you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. God, our Father, we commit our brother Jerry to you. Uh, we commission him to your service as well as a member of Chillicothe Bible Church. Father, we are happy to stand with him as members of your body and to say this is what it looks like to uh, confess faith in Jesus Christ and to seek to walk after him. And Father, um, we pray that you would in every way bless Jerry and lead him closer and closer into understanding the height and, and uh, depth and length and width of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that he may be filled with all the fullness of your Holy Spirit and might minister well as part of the body of Christ here. And Father, we pray for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you would join me in the back so that everybody can officially welcome you uh, at the end of the service, that would be great. And uh, also, if you uh, are headed to Children's Church right now, uh, see Pastor Josh in the back. All right? Um, all right. Well, on this cold and rainy reminder of winter day that we're getting, you might need a little encouragement. And I've been trying to, um, to, re to recommend some books to you for, uh, for your, your blessing and your encouragement. Uh, many of these are in the library. This is not yet in the library because I am reading it. All right. <laughs> so you can get to it after I do. Um, or you can if, do what I did and buy a copy on Amazon.com, right? Or wherever fine books are sold. Right, uh, you can't go to the Christian bookstore anymore. There aren't any. But, um, but uh, let me just read you a little of this book. This is uh, from a book called *Gentle and Lowly* by Dane Ortland. Right, it's uh, based on Jesus' statement. He says, "I am gentle and humble of heart. Come to me, and you will find rest for your soul." Right. And this is how it starts out. This is a book about the heart of Christ. Who is he? Who is he really? What's most natural to him? What ignites within him most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers? What flows out most freely, most instinctively? Who is he? This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those who Christian, whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is, is wearing thin. Those of us who know God's love but suspect we have deeply disappointed him. Who have told others of the love of Christ yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors mild resentment. Who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired. Who are convinced we permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord. Who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such numbing darkness. Who look at our lives and know how to, know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally stingy. It's written, in other words, for normal Christians. It's for sinners and sufferers. How does Jesus feel about them? And it's full of good and wonderful, encouraging news about how much Jesus loves you. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't got this yet, to pick this up. I'm a bibliophile. Uh, those of you who help us move later this week will find that out when you see how many boxes of books and you recognize that uh, mine are all here. So uh, those are everybody else's, <laughs> right, at my house. Um, but this is a great book and an encouraging book about how much Jesus loves you. Uh, and it underlines for you some things that are true in your Bible and helps you to see them about how much Jesus loves you. Because guess what? This is a book also 
about how much God loves you. Amen. Amen. Now, let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you for all these blessings that we have to celebrate uh, baptism last week and new deacons to commission and new members to enjoy and celebrate with. And Father, we are, we are just overwhelmed with your blessings and the good, how good you have been to us. Father, I pray that today you would help us to see your goodness and to, uh, to have our hearts sing with the truth of your word, how we might have the new life that you have promised to us and live it out and experience the joy of knowing you. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, looking back over my life, I can tell you that I have made many, many, many plans for how my life would go. And at one point during the heaviest year of my undergrad, I took all of the syllabi from all of my classes. I got one of those big planners that you like eight and a half by 11, you could fold out, right? And I took all the syllabi. I had, I had four different colored markers for all of the assignments, and I color-coded all of my assignments. Yes, I was that student. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I backed into when everything was due and so I could make sure I got it all done because I was in my fourth semester of Greek class and I had a bunch of other stuff for history classes and so forth and hundreds and hundreds of pages of reading that were not going to do themselves and all of this kind of thing, right? I had a 60-page paper that I wrote on the passage we're starting into next week, right? Uh, there was a whole bunch of work to be done and uh, not nearly enough time to do it in. So I had to make a very detailed plan over the course of the whole semester for how it was all going to happen and how I was not going to die in the process, right? Um, I like to make plans. I like to dream about the future and what it might look like. Uh, how to obtain the future that I have in my head. I like to think that all this planning will make help me make the most of whatever short period of time I have here on this planet, and that someday I'll be able to look back on my life like Hannibal Smith from the old A-Team, you know, and be able to say, I love it when a plan comes together, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I love that, right? I, I think there's something important about making plans for the future, but I can also tell you something that is more important. That while it's true that making the most of whatever short time you have here on this earth is very important, it's also true that God has a wildly different definition of what that means than what we typically think of for ourselves. And certainly one that has uh, been different than whatever plan I have sometimes pridefully devised for myself. And so I need, and I suspect you probably need, the reminder that the scripture gives us over and over that living our life according to God's plan is actually the way to make the most of the time that we have. And one of the places that we learn that lesson and get that reminder is in the passage that we have today here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. So I want to look at them with you. Uh, and if you would stand here as we read together. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. This is what the Word of God says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that we would learn and be reminded again how to live our lives according to your plan, how to make the most of the time according to 
your will and that we would indeed make the most of what we have been given according to your will. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Uh, if you look at your Bible, one of the oldest psalms in it is Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is written not by David, but by Moses. Moses, if you'll remember, lived to be 120 years old. So he lived a few years longer than me, um, right? A few years longer than any of you as well. Uh, but he says in it that the average person gets 70 years on this planet. Maybe 80 if you're strong, maybe a few more than that according to God's grace. But however many there are, I say this as someone who has done 50 funerals in this building. However many there are, there are never enough. However many years you get, however many days you have, there are never enough of them. Individual days can stretch on forever. Amen? Particularly if you have preschool-aged children, those days are long, brother. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right? And if you're, a single, if you're a single mom or you're a mom of preschool kids, you have my full sympathy and support. All right? Because those days are long. They are hard. But here's what I've learned. That though the individual days of our life might seem very, very long, the years, as they accumulate seem to pick up speed. And the more of them there are in the rear view, it seems the faster life goes. And so Moses says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may learn a heart of wisdom. And the point is that however many days you get, it isn't that many. And so you need to consider carefully how to spend each and every single precious one of them and to do so in a way that is wise. Amen? And Paul is making the same point here in Ephesians uh, verses uh, 15 and 16 here in chapter 5. A life of ungodliness is not only unfruitful. It's not only sinful and dark and displeasing to God. It's also something which is foolish. Do you see that? Don't be unwise, but be wise, verse 15 says. Because spending your life on what never permanently satisfies and never counts for anything for eternity is dumb. To paraphrase the scriptures, right? That's dumb. Why would you spend your life on things which will be consumed by the wrath of God? That's foolishness. Why would you spend your life trying to acquire that which is not eternal? That's dumb. Everything in this world, everything that you and I see, uh, Peter says, is reserved for fire. So buy a new Maserati if you want and can afford one, but just remember, it's, you got to mark it under the hood, reserved for fire. This will be destroyed one day. It's temporary. None of this is permanent. And so you want to spend your life wisely. You want to build, build with things that last. And we who are Jesus' followers, who are sons of God the Father, have to choose as the text says, to live not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of our time. We're called to make the most of our lives in light of the fact that the days that we live in are evil. By the way, Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago when the Roman Empire was at its height. The Roman Empire was the longest-lasting, most powerful, world-dominating empire the world has ever known. And it failed, by the way. But, but many of the things that we are seeing in our culture today have their origination back then. And if Paul could write back then about the days are evil, I wonder what he would say today. He would say the days are evil. Amen? 
because people are still just as sinful now as they were then. And in light of the fact that the world is not getting better and not going to get better before Jesus returns, even if it advances technologically, the world is not going to get better. How do we know? Because the Scripture prophesied and told us that the world is not going to improve. It might advance technologically, but morally it's never heading upward because people are still sinful. So in light of that, how do we make the most of the time? How do we make the most of the time? Look at verse 17 with me. It begins to tell us here in verse 17. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. According to verse 17, we make the most of the time by obeying God's will. Foolishness equals, do you see this here in the verse as you look at it? Foolishness equals the failure to understand God's will. The word understand here does not mean, by the way, do you understand theoretically what it would mean to obey God? Right? I'm convinced that most modern evangelical Christians in America do not understand what Jesus said when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Right? They might have that on a poster. They might have memorized it, but they don't actually understand it. How do I know? Because they have never shared the gospel with a single solitary person. And when, they, and when Jesus comes back and asks, so how did your life go? Tell me about what you did. You know, and he comes to the part about the Great Commission. He's not going to, to give you a passing grade on that if you go, well, you know, when it came to the Great Commission, Jesus, I memorized it. <laughs> right? I did a Bible study on what it would look like if I obeyed it. No, that's not what Jesus intends for us to do to understand his will is to put it into practice right to put it into practice so when jesus tells us to pray if we understand what he means we are people who pray if he says share the gospel we are people who share the gospel if he says flee from sin we are people who flee from sin and if we don't do that it must be that we didn't understand the command you understand what I'm saying? Um, it, the word understand means comprehend through obedience. Understanding what God's will is means putting His will into practice. And it, by the way, it isn't like His will is a secret. Jesus does not play hide and seek with His will, right? I remember when I was in when I was in college, we used to have these. Bible studies and discussions about discerning the will of God for your life, right? And it was like it was some mystical thing that we were like all trying to discover. I wonder what God's will is, right? Like he had hidden it from us, like he plays hide and seek or something, right? And like we were expecting that we were going to get revelation of God's will. Like when we were in a dating relationship with a girl, we would hear the heavens open up and we would hear... Marry her, my son, right? She is the one, right? We, we, that's what we thought we wanted. Does God's will work like that? No, not normally. How do we know what God's will is? Let me help you out. Open your Bible, <laughs> right? It's written in there. What's God's will? He tells us. Over and over and over. Over and over and over. This, in fact, there are even passages that are very helpful in this regard that say, for this is God's will concerning you. Right? How do we know what God's will is? We, we read what He has told us. In fact, in this very passage, He's going to give us a whole lot of things that explain what His will is in the rest of the book. In fact, we're going to get a whole lot of stuff about marriage and about parenting and about uh, spiritual warfare that all have to do with obeying God's will. And we're, 
here in this very section going to understand some things about what it means to be obedient to God's will. Uh, God's will is not a secret, but if we're going to be wise, we're going to have to make the most of the time we have, and we make the most of the time we have by obeying what he's told us. So look at the scripture again here, verses 18 to 21. Uh, How do we obey God's will? Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, are command, we are not simply commanded to obey God. We're also empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do the very thing that God asks us to do. He gives us His Holy Spirit. Uh, he, has the, he gives the Holy Spirit to fill us. Now, let me explain what that means, okay? Theologically, let me just put my theologian hat on for just a second, but follow along with me carefully. This is important. There are three really important words that relate to the Holy Spirit as, it, as He relates to us. Okay, The first one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is um, the action of the Holy Spirit in uniting you to Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into membership in the body of Christ. That's a one-time thing cannot be repeated, and it occurs for every person who is a believer in Jesus. They are baptized into membership in the body of Christ. Okay? Um, it's, what we are, it's what we are imitating when we experience water baptism. Uh, we, are, we are enacting with our body the spiritual baptism that has already happened, that united us to Christ. Uh, we are experiencing it in a physical way, what has already happened to us in a spiritual way. Okay. Uh, at the moment we are baptized into Christ, we are also we also experience what is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. At the moment you put your trust in Jesus, takes up residence within you. Now you can't locate him like an organ, like. Oh, there's the appendix, there's the gallbladder. Oh, there's the Holy Spirit right there. Uh, It's not that kind of indwelling. It's that His Spirit is united to your spirit. And He he begins to work within you and transform you from the inside out. You You bear the presence of God within you if you're a believer in Jesus. And then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something which can come and go. The filling of the Holy Spirit is when you yield your will to His indwelling presence within you so that you obey God rather than obey your sinful nature. Okay? So if you're obeying God, you are experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you are obeying your sinful desire, you are quenching the Holy Spirit, which we saw uh, earlier in the, in the chapter, right? Uh, 4.32 talks about do not quench the Holy Spirit. His indwelling presence isn't active and powerful in your life when you are engaged in sin. Right? So the command is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, to yield your will to His, that He might work through you and enable you, empower you to do that which He commands you to do. Okay? Make sense? Hope so. If you got questions, see me afterwards. I like to talk theology. All right, this is great stuff. But it has very practical effects. And the practical effect is is that you cannot simultaneously be filled with the Holy Spirit and be uh, committed to and engaging in sin. And if you wonder why your spiritual life does not seem to be growing, it may be because you are pursuing sin instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, um, so the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says he draws a contrast between these two things. Don't be drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have said, well, you know, when the Holy Spirit takes over your life, it's like being drunk. No, that's not the point of the contrast. The point is, is that um, as you... Uh, you have yielded control of your life to wine. If you're drunk, 
and you begin to do things in response to the, to the presence of that substance within you, right? Some of you all, if you get drunk, or get very happy. Some of you get very angry. Um, but you're yielding your, your life to the presence of that substance within you. What you want to do instead is yield your life to the control of the Holy Spirit, that you produce that which is consistent with His presence within you. Make sense? So, uh, the contrast is being, is being controlled by something sinful and allowing the Spirit to give direction to your life. And if we're honest, lots of us have some sinful thing that we have let control our lives at some point in the past. Uh, we have, at some point in the past, given ourselves over to it. But we are called, as believers in Jesus, to instead give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to make the most of our time, we're going to have to yield our life to the Holy Spirit's control and to yield the direction of our life over to Him rather than to ourselves. And when we do that, there are three obvious results that come to, from yielding your life to the Spirit's control. Uh, first of all, it changes your words. Changes your words. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, when you say a bad word, is, why is that? It is because of what is in your heart. If you didn't have a filthy heart, you wouldn't have a filthy mouth. Amen? And so if you want to deal with the mouth, you've got to deal with the heart. And when you experience heart change, then what comes out of your mouth begins to change. And what do you see? It says, speaking instead of verse 4, uh, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, instead there's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, now, you may not know what that is, but psalm singing is deeply rooted in Christian history. In fact, it goes back even before the founding of the church in the book of Acts. Uh, God's people sung the psalms. And in fact, we still do today. There are psalms that we sing, uh, words that are based explicitly on psalms that we sing in church together. Um, but there are also ones that are much more tightly developed uh, off of a psalm where you're literally singing the Scripture. And the idea is, is that as the Spirit begins to control your life, that you are filled with joy and things of the Scripture start to come out of you. Um, there are also hymns. Uh, hymns are um, very structured, uh, Songs that have to do with God and what He has done and who He is. And we sing some of those here. Uh, spiritual songs are a little less structured. They're, you might think of them as praise songs. Things that don't necessarily have a real tightly organized... Uh, and then we sing this stanza and then this stanza and then this one. It might be a little looser, more disorganized kind of a thing. But this kind of worship goes back all the way to the very beginning of the founding of the church. So these discussions about, well, I only like this kind of song. Well, uh, okay. But all these kinds of songs have their roots in Christian history. In fact, going back all the way to the early, uh, early church. Um, the idea uh, here is not that Christians shouldn't actually talk to one another, but that what comes out of your mouth, uh, it's in other words, you know, when you read this verse, don't think that it's going to be like a Broadway musical, right? Where nobody talks and we just all kind of sing our stuff to each other, right? That, you know, this, my life is not the music man if I am, um, <laughs> if I am following Jesus closely. But it does mean that what comes out of me is more joyful, more spiritually directed, and more focused on building up and encouraging and directing and pointing people toward Jesus if I'm filled by the Holy Spirit. 
I can only remember one time when I was so spontaneously filled with joy in what I was doing that I was singing while I was doing it. I mean, I have, I have sung privately, but like with a group of people, that doesn't normally happen, right? Uh, me and some guys that I was on a missions trip in Mozambique with, we all started singing as we're doing dishes in the kitchen. And we're singing hymns that we knew. And it was a wonderful time of just fellowship and enjoying life together. Uh, but it's only happened to me once that we ever did that, right? Uh, it's not a normal occurrence in my life. Now, I do sing privately when I have my quiet time sometimes, or uh, I like to sing in the car. If you see me looking like a crazy person going down the road, right? Um, I'm either talking to somebody on the phone or I'm singing, probably. Um, and so it's good to have a song in your mouth and in your heart. But the point is, is that being filled with the Spirit changes what comes out of your mouth. And second, yielding your life to the Spirit's control changes your attitude. Do you see that? Uh, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed how focused our world is on what we want and what we think and what we desire in order to be happy, and on all of us getting our share, and about what I am entitled to. I mean, to be honest, as I look at it, I think that attitude is more epidemic than COVID, and it has worse, worse results. Because entitled people are never thankful people. They're never grateful people. They're never joyful people. And it is absolutely contrary to the gospel to be a grumpy sourpuss to the glory of God, right? You can't do that. You cannot do that, right? And if you meet a believer in Jesus who is just sour and grumpy, you can take this to the bank. They are not filled with the Spirit, right? Because people who are filled with the Spirit are thankful people. People who have, who have great gratitude for their life. Who believe that God has blessed them. You know, I don't know if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio, but one of the things that he always says that whenever people ask him, they go, well, Dave, how are you doing? And he always says this. I think it's a great response. Better than I deserve. I thought, boy, that's good. That's good right there. Because what do we deserve? I deserve to go to hell on a rocket ship immediately. Right? And so anything that God gives me that is a blessing is far more abundantly than I deserve. He has saved me by His grace. He has sent His Son to die on the cross for my sins, to be raised from the dead, to give me new life. He has given me His Holy Spirit. He has given me His Word. He has put me in the middle of a fellowship of other brothers and sisters to encourage me and to, uh, that I can help to build up and that they can be built up by me. And we get to share life together and we get to enjoy life. And God has scattered His, abund His abundant blessings of just in, in immeasurable ways throughout this place and throughout your life and my life. And we should be thankful people as a result. And so if we're filled with the Spirit, we, we turn outward. We don't, we're not inwardly focused on how awful my life is, right? Trying to be grumpy with everybody. Uh, life is terrible. Life is not terrible. Life is good. Even if you're, what you're going through is rough, there's plenty always for which to give praise and thanksgiving to God. And those who are filled with the Spirit are thankful people in all kinds of circumstances. Always on our lips should be words like Job's in Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
been a long time since we sang that song, but we should sing it to ourselves. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because we are far more blessed than we deserve. And we have far more to be thankful for than we can even keep count of. Be filled with the Spirit changes our attitude. And third, yielding our life to the Spirit's control changes our actions toward other people. Look at verse 21. Quick question. What is the least beloved Christian virtue? It's in verse 21. Submission. What do we not like about it? We do not like the idea that we would have to yield ourselves in humility to another human being. And by the way, how do we do that? We do that, first of all, by yielding ourselves in submission and humility to God the Father, and then to one another. Uh, to be a submissive person is just another aspect of humility. It is deciding that we do not have to have everything our way to be happy as if life should be one giant burger king. But that we are going to yield our will, our desires, control over our circumstances to someone else because we trust the Lord. Because we trust the Lord. Right? Now, I know, I mean, let me give you just a real practical example on this, okay? I am one of a multiplicity of elders. The Bible talks about how church should be led by a multiplicity of elders. I am one of the elders. Now, lots of people think that because I am the, quote, senior pastor, and I have that title on my door, that that means that I am in charge of the church. Let me disabuse you of that notion, okay? <laughs> um Jesus is in charge of the church, first of all, not me, okay? But second, second of all, governmentally, guess what that means? Uh, within the elder board, I get how many votes? One. And, <laughs> and, so, and so does that mean that the, all the votes always go my way? No. And so what does that mean? That means that sometimes the other guys, as we pray together and as we seek the Lord together and as we try to pursue what the, how the Lord wants to lead the church and we, uh, we ask the Spirit to lead us, sometimes the guys go, well, so this is what we think we should do. And I go, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. And I have to yield myself to them, right? What is that called? Submission. Is that my favorite thing? No. Is it good for me? Yes. <laughs> right? But, um, but is it my favorite thing? No. But in order to do that, what does it require? It requires first an attitude that I do not have the best ideas about everything. I do not have to have my way in all circumstances in order to be happy. And the reason that I can relax about this decision, even if it doesn't go the way I thought it should go, is because I trust the Lord to lead His church in the way He wants it to go. And that God speaks through people other than me in the doing of that task. Right? Submission. No one who is a believer doesn't have to submit at some point. And it's a requirement and a necessity of the Spirit-filled life. So I hope you got the point of this passage. Uh, if not, let me say it again. Time is short. Time is short. Some of y'all who are sitting out there are much younger than me and you're thinking, oh, i got lots of time. Trust me. The time between where you are now and when you went to your 25th college reunion as I did two weekends ago goes by like that. It goes by in an instant. 
the time between when you are rocking babies and changing diapers to the time that they are all leaving high school and your heart is rent over the fact that they're leaving your house. It goes by faster than that. You blink and it's over. Time is short. Make the most of your short life, therefore, by living as a spirit-filled Christian who obeys the Lord. Don't live for yourself. Don't live for your sinful, selfish desires. In addition to being sinful, it's foolish. If you do it, your life will be filled from one end to the other with disappointment and regret and disaster. But if you are wise, the only regrets that you will have are the times when your life strayed away from obedience to God. And your heart will be filled with so much joy that it will spill out your mouth in song. It will fill your heart with thankfulness to God and it will change you from a selfish person to a submission a submissive person who doesn't have to always have his or her way in order to be happy in life. You will happily give up all of your life to serve the Lord and be a blessing to other people. So choose wisdom. Choose the way of the Spirit-filled life and not the way of the fool. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we, thank, we are thankful to You that You always supply what You require. Your salvation requires perfect holiness that we cannot obtain because we are sinners and we have rebelled against You from before we were born. And so in Your grace, You sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place and to be raised from the dead to give us new life and, and you give us the righteousness that you require by faith in him. And then since we can't live the spiritual life on our own because we're still people who have a sin nature, you gave us a new nature by faith in Jesus that we might have the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within us that we might live out the commands of your word. You always supply what you require. You are so gracious, Father, and so good. I pray that we would all today, if we have been holding on to sin, that we would release it in confession to you and that we would yield ourselves again, being filled by the Holy Spirit, that we might walk with you in wisdom and in joy. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.